This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Onyx Hunt, Aluma Trailers, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today I'm joined by Mark Norquist from the organization called Modern Carnivore. We'll find out how Mark uses the need for food to get more hunters in the field, challenges they face recruiting new hunters, lessons he's learned, and so much more. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own Maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public. The landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Are you really ready? I'm really, really ready. You're really ready. Okay. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, is our producer. And we're here together today, buddy. We are. I know. I haven't seen your face in a while. Your beard is looking better than ever. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I I attribute that to laziness. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. Absolutely. Well, some people wish they could have a beard like that. (laughs) I wish you guys could see Brandon right now. He's looking exceptional. We're both grateful that you chose to listen to us today. Before we get started, I want to remind you that our next live show will be next week, January 26th at Bear Cave Brewing in Hopkins, Minnesota at 7 p.m.? At 7 p.m. We'll be outside in the heated tent. Oh, you can your that. Yes, it's been confirmed. You can bring your dogs. You can, uh, yeah, bring your dogs, have some beers. Yeah, our first show at Bear Cave Brewing, uh, September? Was it August, September? It was right before the start of hunting season, and we did it on their patio outside. And it was freezing cold, and and it was raining. It was a little bit of rain. Yeah, a little drizzle. It toughened us up for hunting season, I like to think. But anyway, there were dogs. That was great. That was a cool thing. And now... You can bring your dog back again. They do have a, I saw it when we were there last time, they've got that outside tent with heaters. So we're not going to be, if it's 20 below outside, it's not going to be 20 below inside that tent. We will be fine. It's really nice and cozy in that tent area. I've seen it before. It's it's spacious. It'll be perfect for for a show. Awesome. Yeah. uh, I've got a couple of guests lined up. I will not tell you who it is. All right. So there, take that. Okay. Can you tell me how many guests there are? Two. Two. All right. All right. So you're going to have to come. To the show, and I know you're going to come. I'll be there. You're contractually obligated. That's very true. I think I am, too. So I'm going to be there. (laughs) Anyway. Are you sure you don't have Ron to fill in for you? Maybe he'll take over this. He's in somewhere a lot warmer than here, which, by the way, what? Oh, gosh. Like, I I couldn't believe when somebody said, hey, uh, consider the commute this or tomorrow on your way in because we've got another round coming. And I'm like, what? How can we possibly have more snow coming? And yet... There's we more do. snow falling as we speak outside. We are in central Minnesota, just west of uh, Minneapolis in Golden Valley. That's where we are headquartered. And the the uh, snow piles outside our office are just like everywhere else in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. Like the, uh, 
I, I every time I see snow, I just get so mad because I want every single pheasant to survive. I want every deer to survive. And my wife is like so sick of me because she goes, it's so pretty. I'm like, you realize how hard this is on all of the animals right now. And I'm looking at things through the lens of, I want every creature out there to make it. And this is starting to starting to get under my skin a little bit. I'm going to use that as my solid excuse now every time. I hate winter for a thousand other reasons, but I sound cooler if I'm like, I, it's for the animals. Yeah, I mean, I animals. feel for the animals. I want them to make it. Yeah, driving across from Kansas last week back home, you know, and it's amazing uh, hunting in no snow last week, how good that felt. Like, I can't even tell you, after the waist-high drifts and cattails and crap up here, going down and just driving out of the snow. And it was like, oh, felt so I, good to get out. So jealous. And walking in a, I hunted in a t-shirt last week. I mean, it was, oh, it felt so good. So jealous. So good. Um, but then on the way back, you know, just really taking an inventory of what the birds are going through out there. And yes, there are a lot of pheasants out in the fields, a lot right now from basically, I mean, there are parts of Nebraska and then into South Dakota, Iowa. I took two different routes, one there, one back. Lots of pheasants. My goodness that I see a lot of pheasants. Western Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota. Pheasants are out in the field everywhere. And now people say, wow, they're doing all right out there. You don't want pheasants to be out in the middle of a wide open field. Even if they are finding food out there, that's like, think about the uh, number one predator that a pheasant faces. It is a hawk yeah. or a bird of prey, typically, that does them in if it's not my shotgun. <laughs> oh. But, um, yeah, so they're very susceptible to those attacks out there. It's just not great. They're on the side of the road. Obviously, they're stressed. This, this snowpack is not good for anything. We did have a little bit of a melt this past weekend. That is helpful. But now we look outside, and it's crap falling out of the sky again. Tired of it, Brandon. I am sick of it, I'm too. praying for the birds. All right. And let's, the deer. Let's sign a petition okay. against the snow. All right. Anyway, there. Um, I, I haven't listened to it yet, but Bob St. Pierre did a podcast on the effects of the severe winter, and they did a tour from Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, with Matt Morlock and Rachel Bush. And um, I, I'm going to try to listen to that. I'm uh, anticipating some negative news out of that. I think our listeners would enjoy that on the wing podcast as well from them. Uh, but don't tune to that until you're done with ours, because we have a good show today. We've got Mark Norquist here from Modern Carnivore. Before I introduce Mark, I do want to cover a couple of other things. Sorry for keeping you hanging over there, Mark. Um, <clears throat> I will be at, well, we will be at Pheasant Fest, obviously. We are almost ready to finalize our live show, and I've got a game show I'm really excited about, Brandon. All I know right. you're like, all right, let's see. Let's get the music I'm, ready. Yeah, I know, exactly. It's going to be a lot of fun, and interaction from... Our listeners will be paramount, and you'll win things, I think. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's in the works. Uh, we'll probably announce it at the ne next week's show, maybe at the live show. Okay. Uh, but I'm also going to be doing a couple of uh, performances. <laughs> They're not performances, <laughs> Brandon. I'll be speaking on on the stage Friday and Saturday at the Public Lands Pavilion. Um, the schedule for Pheasant Fest has everything laid out pretty orderly. You can go to... I think pheasantfest.org or just go to Pheasants Forever and you're going to get information on the show. You'll see when everyone's speaking, there's going to be a lot of great topics. Um, I'm going to do my best to entertain or educate or inspire maybe all three. I'm not going to dance and I won't sing. I promise all those things. 
Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to show up then. Oh. I mean, I was expecting singing and dancing yeah. the entire time. Okay. Anyway, we're looking forward to that, and it'll be here before we know it. And we have a film that we are airing the night before. kind of kicks off Pheasant Fest. It's a Pheasant Forever's putting on a film festival, and we are entering, or not entering, but submitting or playing a film that we put together from one of our haunts this past season. Um, Mark Norquist, I mentioned, is our guest. I just gave Mark a little sneak peek of the first minute 20. And uh, thoughts based on that? Are you inspired? I'm very inspired. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I've wanted to get up there and hunt those birds for a long time, and it looks great. I can't wait to see the whole thing. I've already got my VIP tickets for the film. Oh, you're going to be there? Oh, absolutely, oh, man. I wouldn't miss it. All right, all right. Well, I will leave you hanging. It's a cliffhanger. <laughs> yes, there we go. Uh, a couple of listener questions before we jump into the conversation with Mark. This one comes from Dave Saxland, I believe that's pronounced. Will you be offering shows on YouTube TV in the future? What an excellent question, Dave, because we just started uploading our shows from this past season to our YouTube channel in their entirety. So if you don't, if you're a cord cutter and you don't watch TV or have the outdoor channel, you can watch our shows right now. They're streaming in their entirety on our YouTube channel. If you go to the flush page, there's a link for YouTube and you can subscribe and get a notification. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're doing one show a week. Um, so it kind of feels like you're watching, you know, a show that's being released um, and then you can sit down, pop some popcorn at home and, and watch our hunts unfold if you so choose, or if you don't feel like working and you want to kill a half hour of your day at the office, you can pull it up there too. That's what Scott Franzen does all the time. I bust him doing it all the time. I'm like get back to work. Uh, Paul asks, uh, Hey Travis, thanks for turning me onto those Wells Lamont gloves. Well, so a while back, Paul asked what kind of gloves I wear. Anyway, picked up a pair several days ago and went to my local game farm to try them out. Very soft and supple, he said. <laughs> no issue working my safety trigger or loading shells. I wish they made an insulated version for colder weather. Do they? Do you guys have plans for more shows? Well, yes, we are currently working on editing our shows for next season. And yes, Wells Lamont does make an insulated version of those deer skin gloves. Now, there's a lot of leather gloves out there. Never heard my hunting gloves referred to as soft and supple before, but now I, yeah. I actually own a pair of the exact same <laughs> gloves, and they are soft and supple. They are, That's, yeah. Uh, so they're deer skin. And believe it or not, I'm always amazed at this, and this is the reason why I read this question. The number one, Mark, the number one question that we get asked, what kind of gloves are you wearing? <laughs> uh, I have been asked that question, I can't even count how many times, like, Every time a show airs, we get emails from viewers, and it's the number one question. Sometimes it's several a week come in, um, but what kind of gloves are you wearing? And it's like been in the thousands of times that I've maybe been asked how many or what kind of gloves I'm wearing. So that's why I tell people about these gloves, because they're soft and supple. They're soft and supple. <laughs> Even if you didn't leather. know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because leather, some cowhide can be really, it's hard to touch your, your controls on your Garmin and operate everything on the touch screens. You can do all that. The and deer, it feels like a second skin. It is really nice. It's really nice. Is, yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. So I love it, Paul. They're soft and supple. I'm glad you like it too. Uh, yes, new shows. We're working on editing them. As we speak, we will have those 
how the network works on the Outdoor Channel, we air uh, second half of the year through the fall. So it starts in July, August, September, then goes October, November, December. New season will be out next year. Jason asks, on one of your shows, a guest that was from Germany cooked up the pheasants using his Jager schnitzel recipe, and it looked delicious. I'm wondering if there's any chance I could get that recipe somehow. Please let me know. This actually, Mark, could be a good uh, segue into our conversation. I bet it was Simon, wasn't it? Was. It? <laughs> it was Simon Tika. That was some of the most amazing pheasant I have ever eaten. I did ask Simon, and he does not have that recipe online anywhere, but you should put it yeah. on your site, and we'll yeah. get into that in a second. We're going to come back to that question, Jason. Brian asks, hello, guys. I watch nearly every show that you have on YouTube and recent shows on TV. I will say they're all great, and thanks. Well, Brian, thank you. Uh, I was wondering, you switch from a semi-auto to an over-under in different gauges, and I know sometimes it's smaller gauges for smaller birds. Which do you prefer, 12, 20, and I see now the 16, and semi-auto or over-under? I've shot sporting, gla- sporting clays for some time now, but I would like to get into upland hunting and would like to know how to get started. Thanks again, Brian. Oh, gosh. That is a very common question, too. I, I know it's not just myself that gets that uh, question asked, but... Um, Whew. there's there's excellent ammunition available today that makes all of our different gauges, including the sub-gauges, lethal. Um, I think the question that you want to ask yourself before you go into the field is, the goal should always be to make a clean, ethical kill shot. And there are times of the year that I switch. And I will, I love, I have fallen madly in love with the Benelli 828U 20-gauge I change out chokes depending on the birds that I'm after and the shot size, whether it's, you know, a grouse, rough grouse and woodcock, I'm probably going to go with as wide open of a choke as I can get. And I'm shooting an eight shot, uh, maybe even a nine shot. You know, you don't need a heavy shot in there. Um, but then, you know, if I'm hunting late season pheasants, there are times where I want three shots and I want to be able to back that shot up. And that's why I might go to the semi-auto 12 gauge. I have so much confidence in that gun. My goal always, and I think every hunter's goal should be to take a clean kill, ethical kill shot every single time. So I adjust based on the conditions, the weather, what the birds are doing, how they're holding. I bring a 12, a 20, and sometimes a 16 uh, with me in the field on every trip so that I I can make that adjustment. I do want a light gun, as light as possible, and that's why I love that 828U from Benelli, over-under. Usually two shots I feel like is pretty good, Um, and I can carry that thing for miles and miles and miles, uh, up mountains, through valleys, and everywhere in between. I just feel like that 20-gauge is, like if I had to pick just one, based on all the variety of birds, the fact that I like woodcock and rough grouse and quail and pheasants and everything, the 20 does it all. Uh, But the 12 will do it all too. So it's not like a here's the one gun. That's why there are all these guns out there. At the end of the day, you need to decide which gun fits you and which gun you have confidence in to take into the field to take a shot where when you hit the bird, you can bring it down and bring it back to hand. You don't want to lose a bird. I just am always sick to my stomach with it. And there are times, like I said, where those pheasants are getting up further away. I want a little more punch. I tighten up my choke a little bit. And heck, you know, even having a third shot in the chamber doesn't hurt when a bird that might get sailed, uh, you have a chance to take it down. So 
there you go. I guess, I don't know. Mark, do you feel like that sums that up okay? I think it does. I think that's a great perspective. I think it, it's such a personal preference. Yeah, you know, it, it really is. is. And you, you have to, I mean, if like uh, Brian says, he's been shooting sporting clays. So, I mean, I feel like take that gun. Exactly. You probably have a great relationship with that. I always tell my buddies, I've got a really good relationship with this gun right now or a bad one, you know, depending on how I'm doing there. But um, I'm assuming if you've shot sporting clays, take that gun out. I've got, you know, I've got a, a, a 20 over under that I want to be able to, sh- it's a 20 gauge. I, w- I want to be able to shoot it well. I don't shoot it well. When I want to make sure that I'm going to bring that bird down very humanely, I've got my Browning 12 gauge semi-auto I've had for 20 years. That is just my go-to gun. You have a good relationship. Just, yeah, with I have gun. a very good relationship with it. So, <laughs> but go. that's just my personal, you know, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. for me, it's exactly, it's that one gun, you yeah. know? And it's different for everybody, I think. All right, Mark Norquist, appreciate you coming into the office on this blizzard. What Blizzard 74 of the season in Minnesota here. You live in Minnesota. We're not too far away, actually, probably 15 minutes uh, away. But you, um, if somebody says, Mark, what do you do? What do you tell them? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> do a lot of things. But I mean, for, you know, professionally, um, I always say, you know, I do marketing and media. Uh, is is a lot of what I do and related to the outdoors uh, oftentimes. And so, um, and, and, and how we use those is in education primarily. So rather than entertainment, um, how, do we, how do we help educate people on the outdoors and specifically activities that result in food, uh, things you can eat? Yeah. So think hunting, fishing, foraging. And the name of your organization is called Modern Carnivore. When did you start that? Uh, it was about 12 years ago. That long already? Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> I know. It was, I know. It's crazy. Time flies. Yeah. It was, you know, at the, I was, at the time I was working in the marketing world and, and I worked with a lot of organic and natural foods companies. And I've always been a hunter my whole life. And I was really sort of bummed out about watching these trend lines of participation with hunting and seeing declines, declines, declines. And I looked at it and said, you know, that is something that's, it's, it's so much a part of my identity, my lifestyle, my families, my friends. Um, it's really sort of depressing to see this decline. And the work I was doing professionally was with these organic and natural food companies. And there's all these people around the country that were interested in connecting with their food, understanding about their food more. And one day the light bulb went on and I said, I think there's an opportunity to introduce people who have that interest in their food to the idea of hunting because they're, you know, they're maybe like raising chickens in their backyard already. They're yeah. doing little gardens or they're, you know, things like that. And and so that's what we did is we, we looked at how do we, how do we break down barriers? Cause there are a lot of barriers to sure. hunting. And so, uh, bringing the, you know, introducing people like that to, so to using the food to lure people in. There you Everyone's go. got to eat. Exactly. Everybody I always said we do research. We did research study years ago. And we found that everybody we want to engage that they eat. And so <laughs> the rest of them we don't worry Just about. Brilliant. <laughs> if you don't eat, this is not your podcast. Sorry. Exactly. Well, how does the organization work? Like, how do you, I mean, is it today what? Is it the same organization today as it was 12 years ago when you started? I'm sure it's evolved over time, but essentially tell us, you know, like, how does it work? Yeah, no, it's a good, good question. It, it, it is different than, than when it started. When, it, when I originally concepted it, it was, to be honest, it was this very linear model. 
uh, as a as a behavioral marketer is, is the, the work that I used to do professionally. I'd looked at it and said, how do we get somebody interested in hunting? And it was taking them down a path of, okay, let's look at natural foods. Let's look at organic uh, or uh, grass-fed beef. Let's look at, you know, uh, farm, you know, pasture-raised chickens, et cetera. Get them understanding why those things are important. Eventually bring them over to foraging and get them into fishing, ultimately into hunting the granddaddy, because now we've got firearms and things like that, which a lot of people aren't familiar with. Um, what I found was, and what happened over time was, everybody wanted to jump all the way to the hunting conversation. They wanted to get to it right away. They wanted to get to no, it right away. Are you saying non-hunters? Non-hunters, okay. exactly. They were intrigued with, you know, and, and another thing that they were really intrigued with that I learned over time, and I wouldn't have thought this 20 years ago if you would ask me, um, a lot of people are intrigued with the idea of butchering an animal and field dressing it and then turning it into meat. And so we've done, you know, uh, butchering clinics where we take deer and we've done different animals where we'll, where we'll have people come in and watch and a butcher take this this animal apart and then also participate from taking the skinning it all skinning the way down skinning it all the way down it. all the way through yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there are people that have come to those events that say, "You know what? I really don't think I'll ever become a hunter, but I'm fascinated with how this works and I want to see it. Do you ask them then, why don't you want to become a hunter when yeah. they tell you that? I, I, I do, but I also, I also don't want to push it too much. The yeah. one thing that's, that's challenging with this is it's a fine line to walk always. You don't want to pressure somebody into it because it's a big deal, the decision to kill another living being for yeah. most people. That's a, that's a very heavy, weighty subject. Yeah. And so... I'd rather have them come and see this and then have a meal of wild game, maybe for the first time and go, wow, there's flavors in there I've never experienced before. Right. Um, and then go, how do I do more? How do I So that's get what gets that? them then. You don't push it. You just, you offer them the food. They taste it. They say, I want more of that. <laughs> well, how do go. I get exactly. my hands on that? Exactly. Well, funny you should ask. It's funny you should ask. Well, now, you, you mentioned the it. butchering thing, and it's it's fascinating because I take my kids, I take or my buddies and I, we take you know our kids or anybody that wants to come with. We go hunting, and when when I walk out with my knife to the deer meat pole, we call it the meat pole, and we I start skinning. Every single kid at camp is like they are they're touching it they're watching they're just fascinated when we're when we're um cleaning the grouse or ducks or whatever it is that we've harvested they they hold it they touch it they just they want to like there's some curiosity going on there you know and then we've taught them how to cut the meat and where to go and how to do it now they're doing it and then when they eat it they're all just like oh yeah we were all remember when we and then they're talking about and like there's just something <laughs> that I don't think you, I know. I don't really know how to explain that. It's instinctive. It's within us. Exactly. Is it, I think maybe that's primal it. is a way of Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. I think it's natural. It's normal, and it and it's inherent in us. I I could share the same stories of when we've been doing these butchering clinics, and I've done them sometimes in, in my garage, or just when I've had, had had a deer on my own after after deer season. I'm cutting it up, and when my kids were small, absolutely, my son was fascinated with the bones he would come and steal the bones and he'd inspect them and look at them and he'd ask if he could keep one and so you know it's 
there's something innately natural and inherent to it that whether it's primal or what have you. And that's that's the thing that I think we've gotten away from in modern society. And what I'm trying oh, sure. to introduce people to. You know, you think about what is meat? It's it's this it's a product that's wrapped under cellophane sitting on this styrofoam plate. <laughs> it just appears that yeah. way. You know, there there was I remember a few years ago a friend told me they had their child's uh, neighborhood friend was over for dinner and they made baked potatoes. And the kids said, what are these? And they had to explain that these are the same as French fries, but this is where French fries come from. Now, maybe that story was embellished a little bit, but it's just stuck with me and just sort of threw me. Because again, I just think we've in in our in our very insulated urban suburban societies that we're predominantly continuing to migrate towards, we create these insulation layers between between the natural world and us. And I believe that the more we do that, the more the natural draw, like your kids interested in cutting meat, is going to get stronger because we're meant to stay connected to the natural world and hunting is one of the ways to do that in the most intimate, personal ways. You know, uh-huh. you're, you're truly taking this animal into your body. I mean, it doesn't get any more personal than that. It doesn't, which I also think there are times when a lot of hunters have the opportunity to elicit those questions from non-hunters if, let's say, they have friends over for a football game and they're going to make pheasant poppers or something like that where – it's pretty pretty easy to make that, and most everybody's going to like it. But it's also, when you have the opportunity to feed somebody wild game that you harvested, I feel like, I don't want to put pressure on anybody, but like the opportunity to make it well, so it's really good. Don't overcook <laughs> it, because that's where it continues this gamey. Oh, wild game is totally. gamey. You know, it's like. Make sure not to overcook that meat if you have a first-timer because that might be the one and only chance you have for them to really understand or be fascinated with or inquisitive about, how did you get this? Maybe I want to be a part of this someday. Or hunters aren't all that bad. You know, you touch on one of the, one of the obstacles to, to getting started in hunting that we try to, try to address and try to break down, which is... You know, we've historically got a culture within the hunting community that's very individualistic and, and, or if it's communal, it's communal with your inner circle, close friends, traditionally family. And we don't want to share too much because then they're going to be competing for the same game, the same locations, maybe that, 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 that we're going to, um, and that's that's a challenge, and I think I think it it you know as you said, I think it would be good if all of us thought a little bit more about that and how can we open that up and look for opportunities to to get people appreciative of hunting. Because here's the thing, like you said, you know, there are a lot of people who don't necessarily appreciate what hunters what hunters do, or maybe have a negative view. And food is a great way to open up that conversation and and to share why you love to hunt. And and not everybody wants to or should become a hunter, but at least if they appreciate and ha- have an appreciation for what hunting is in the right way, yeah. that's wonderful because there's a lot of um, misinformation and there's a lot of lack of understanding out there in the broader population about what hunting is. Sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, what what does uh, what is offered? Maybe I should ask at Modern Carnivore. How do you go about like, or maybe let me. How do I rephrase this? What does a normal work week look like for you <laughs> at the, at the organization? Yeah, there's not a normal work I week really. Not. No, yeah. you know if you look at the if you look at the last year or so. Um, you know, we've done, we've launched new courses on our online learning platform. So that's, that's sort of the, the core of our offering, if you will, it's called hunting camp live. The, the, the URL is huntingcamp.live. And that's where it's self-paced video courses where you can learn about introduction to waterfall hunting, introduction to upland bird hunting, et cetera. And so that's really a core of it where we're doing, you know, virtual events, conversations with individuals, connecting people with coaches, with hunting coaches who can help them one-on-one in support with the curriculum, connecting new hunters into their local communities, you know, finding a local Pheasants Forever chapter, Quail Forever chapter, et cetera. Um, we also do live events. You know, this last year we did, uh, introduction to turkey hunting, uh, um, event, uh, with, with backcountry hunters and anglers. We did an introduction to grouse and woodcock hunting with Minnesota, um, rough grouse society with not with, with rough grouse society, but, um, with, with the Minnesota land trust. Um, we did a waterfall course with the SCI foundation. And so, a lot of different, so we, we do a lot of partnerships with these conservation groups that are, that are, have local communities around the country where we can then plug people into those groups, but we'll provide the education to give them the, the, the foundation to start with. So it's really, you know, it's, it's, um, it's those events, but we try to do a lot of virtual things, both from the standpoint of that's where our sweet spot is in terms of creating that, that digital learning assets but then also for people with busy schedules, they can do online video-based courses that are very meaningful, that have good stories around them to make it interesting, but they can also do it at their own pace. So, you know, maybe they have an hour on Tuesday night. They're like, hey, I'm going to go watch a few courses. Then two weeks from now on a Saturday, I've got, I've got a chunk of time. So I think most people listening right now already hunt. Right. Most people. Um, so we might not be talking to the person that's going to go to that site right now to learn more about it. Maybe. I'm not saying we won't. But I think of mo- most of the people listen to this hunt. I shouldn't even say that, actually, because, I mean, listen to that question from uh, right. Sporting Clay. Yeah, I was yeah. going to so, say, yeah. you're. So maybe go. I'm wrong there. But I know a lot of the people listening here are already hunters. There are other people that they know perhaps, that would like to get into hunting. And I say that because I have those people. As a hunter, I feel like my role, you know, bringing kids, bringing friends that don't hunt, you know, I'm always trying to help other people. But so much of hunting is like, uh, I need you to come with for a season. You know, I, we, it's, I can't just take you out there for an hour, one hunt. Okay, you're set for life. You know everything. Like, there's so much to know. And I have friends that, they reach out and they want to get their sons into hunting or their, their kids have said, I want to go hunting because they've seen my kids or their friends or whatever. And then they'll say, I don't know anything about it. Can you help me? And I say, oh man, there's so much that I want to help you with, but I'm in Kansas right now, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Right, like right. I only have so much time. So then I guess what I'm getting at is maybe I should be sending them to modern carnivore. 
Sounds good to me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's something that a lot of us can do here because we don't all have the capabilities. We might already be investing in other people, trying to help them. And if you're saying, gosh, I know there's more places. That's, I guess, why I wanted to have this conversation with you today is I want to give people more resources to help out. And that's what you're, that's what you're doing right here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I appreciate you having that perspective on it. And that's what I would, I would tell people who are listening, who are existing hunters. We do have the, the content that'd be relevant for people who hunt already would be the recipes, which is the other part of, you know, on, on our blog, we've got all kinds of interesting recipes, you know, for, for upland birds, for waterfall, for venison, for Do you have a favorite fish. for birds? For birds. Oh man. You know, for birds, I mean, the bird of choice for me, I, I just think you can't beat rough grouse. Right. Um, and I love to take those breasts and to, to just sear them very quickly and keep them tender. And then I love to slow cook the carcass and the legs and thighs and use that shredded up for maybe some tacos or Mm -hmm. some, or, or some type of a, of a pasta sauce. Um, and then use the carcass for stock to make then a, a soup. Yeah, you know, if I've got enough meat. Yeah, hey, you know, you mentioned using different parts of the bird. It's, I think, it's pretty common knowledge that a lot of hunters. I'm not going to give a percentage. I don't know how many rip the bre- rip the feathers off, take the breasts, and cook the breasts, and everything else uh, gets tossed. And I'm not, you know, holier than thou saying I've never done that either. I do appreciate all the different parts of the edible bird. You know. Um, you know, an, an example is last week we're down in Kansas and, um, we were doing, George was making up a quail recipe and I took all the legs and I said, I'm making hors d'oeuvres and I made them out of awesome. all the quail legs. Awesome. And everyone was like, Oh my goodness, <laughs> I am never, ever going to throw a leg out again. I mean, and there are a lot of, even woodcock absolutely some of the best meat i've eaten this year was woodcock we were talking earlier ptarmigan right i mean the the meat is so good if you prepare it uh in a in a good way and you don't overcook it and there are a lot of recipes out there so that's a great resource that you have as well different recipes that you provide i hope you've bagged a few pheasants grouse and quail this season maybe even a few ducks geese and deer too whatever you're hunting for waltons can help you finish the hunting process bringing your wild game full circle. Whether you need to mix, grind, or stuff, Waltons will surely have your new favorite pieces of meat processing equipment. Don't spoil your hard work in the field by letting that meat get freezer burned. Save right now on vacuum sealers and bags. Bag up your birds, your jerky, snack sticks, and summer sausage, and have your meat last all year for long-term storage. Find everything, and I mean everything, you need to process and prepare your meat at Waltons.com. And while you're there, sign up for their free monthly giveaways and check out what John Tremblay and the Waltons team is working on in their meat logistics community. Waltons, they have everything but the meat. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good for life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand. 
and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. What are some of your biggest challenges that you face with the organization that you run? Yeah, um, I, one of the biggest challenges is, to be honest, is is getting a clear, getting the word out. Um, like we just talked about, um, within the existing hunting community to say, Hey, have those conversations and then point people to resources like what we have. There's a lot of resources out there. I obviously am biased and feel like we've got some of the best. Um, and, and then, you know, just the natural challenge with getting somebody into hunting is exactly what you said is it's a seasonal, it's a multi-year commitment. And that's, where in the past we've gone wrong, I think. Um, there have been a lot of, over the years, uh, what would be called hunter recruitment events, which were primarily focused on kids. Side commentary, usually kids in hunting families were going to hunt anyways, so yeah. it really wasn't recruitment. But it was also generally one-day events where, hey, we take them to it. And we still, we, we do one-day events too sometimes. Um, and that's a great introduction, but that's just the starting point. And as you said, it's a long process now. And so that's one of the things that we are always working with somebody on to say, okay, let's say it's July or August now. And you're like, hey, you know what? My buddies go hunting every year. Or I know of people who want, I want to, I want to learn how. Wonderful. Let's get you into one of our online courses. You're going to walk that through. Let's now, this, this service, we just, we just launched this last year, uh, Hunting Coaches, which is setting you up with a coach one-on-one through virtual, virtual engagement, where you're able to ask the questions that you, you know, you just watched a course and it's all about the different types of, of, of upland guns actions. You're like, okay, I think that this break action is an idea, but I, I know I have my, my brother's got a pump. Could I use a pump? Yes. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. that. The questions like, you know, that you, that you had this morning there. Um, but it's having it's having that long term view of it. That's a challenge. Is is and staying with that person and keeping that person motivated. And I'll tell you, there are some people that that we've taken events and we've stayed with them for years, and it's just hard to keep them focused on it because they're busy in life. There are other people that come to one event and they're done. Hooked. Man, they are hooked for life, yeah. and they are already like I've seen people within eighteen months move. I've been hunting 40 years. I've seen people that in 18 months are more knowledgeable on certain areas of hunting than I'd ever hoped to be just because they've gone so deep. Yeah. And that's exciting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, to take that too, I mean, I, we have mutual friends that didn't hunt five years ago. <laughs> and they right, are exactly. like, like Simon who had yeah. that amazing Jagerschnitzel recipe, like he's an incredible chef, but he didn't hunt growing up. 
No. And, you know, now he's hunted birds all over the country. He hunts more than most people, you know, he hunts more in a year than most people do in 10. Right. You know, and he's super knowledgeable hunting all kinds of different animals, birds. Um, it, some people, it just, are Kang Yang. You know, he's another one, too. We've had him on this show. He's got, he's going to have a film I saw he at is. Pheasant yeah. Fest. Yeah. I'm excited to see that yeah. one, too. I mean, like, he dives so hard into it. Some people, when they get to experience it, it's um, it's like this childlike joy in the experience, you know. And others that I know as well, where they're like, oh, that was awesome. But then all of a sudden, they've got kids doing this and soccer and basketball, and they don't, they don't have time or make time. And that's a challenge that eventually causes them to fade away from it. Which I, like, some people, I, I... I want to say that they're like, well, you know, I got a priorities. And I was, and in my mind, sometimes I think, well, what if your priorities could become their priorities? Yeah. You know? So what is a real priority? Is that basketball really the priority? You know, like they, well, that, well, we can't go fishing today because we got basketball practice. And I say, okay, I get, I get it. I get it. But when the when the comments I hear back sometimes are like, "Well, I'm making their priorities," they're making you know like that's the priority, and I'm thinking it maybe that is the wrong way of thinking. Ah, just just yeah, absolutely, and I think it it is such similar to the to the gun question from your listener. It's a very personal it's a very personal decision you need to make as to what's right. I'll give you a perfect illustration of exactly what you just said this last weekend. Um, my son, he's on the ski team on, on the, the Nordic ski team for our school district. And he had a race last, last Saturday. And we were also supposed to be up North going ice fishing. I made the choice. I said, you know what? Weighing all the, weighing all things. And it's just, you know, it's sort of a gut feel of you're going to miss that, that meat. And he was fine with that. And we're going ice fishing Good instead. For you. You know, and 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 I think those are that's exactly a tough like thing you said. To do, it is, though, it is a tough thing to do. You gotta, yeah, that's a it's a tough, tough thing to do because then you're gonna let down kids and, on the team. And if he right, exactly, and it yeah. and it is and it is really tough. Now he's only in eighth grade right now, so I, I could see where you know when he's hopefully when he's a junior or senior, it might be where like you know what you got to be at every one because yeah. the team is is totally counting on you to get to state or what have you. Sure, um, but again, that's a judgment call you have to make, and and also taking into account with the kid, you know. With him, I asked him. I said, "Hey, what do you want to do?" I said, oh, "You could, you could do either. I'll go either way." Mm-hmm. Um, and he made he made the choice. Which again, now we get into the discussion of okay, if from a parenting standpoint sure. of what long term in life is 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 going to last, and that's where yeah. this is a lifestyle. These are activities that you do for your whole life and have a lot of deep meaning. Not taking away from from the sports and the other activities; those are important. But I think you could elevate this to, to being just as important. I think I mentioned this maybe a few months ago on this podcast, but I really want to somehow propose to the state there are two days every year that you can't have sports. Only two. You get 363 other days, but two of them just, and I, because I live in Minnesota, I want to keep the fishing opener yeah, yeah. and the deer hunting and opener deer hunter, yeah. as non sporting days because. There's, if it, even if you only take your kid fishing one time, if it's with your fishing up at, you know, wherever you go fishing, like it's, there's something about that or to deer camp. When you're at camp, 
like there's something about all of the experiences. It's different than on a Tuesday afternoon going and sitting in a deer blind with your kid. There's something about going to camp. And yes, I'd love for it to be pheasant opener too, but let's be honest, there's a half a million deer hunters in this state alone that will go into the woods. And now my son this year, he's very young, but eight-year-old, he's, his uh, hockey team started on the deer opener this year. And I'm pretty sure that for every deer opener to come, he's going to have to miss a hockey game or maybe it's a football game. And I don't want him to miss fishing opener because he's got a soccer game or a baseball game or something like that. It's just two days. You know, some states, they close schools down. Right. They do, used to do that here they, in Minnesota. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, there was, um, and you don't know when that moment will be. I like, I like the idea of mm-hmm. those two days. Let's, let's jump on. We that. have enough pull yeah. in Minnesota. Let's do it, do man. This. I think, we, we, I think we can do it. Exactly. Brandon, we slide some yeah. money out of the table. Yeah. Yeah. Easy, easy, <laughs> easy, easily yeah. done. Look for it in 2024. <laughs> 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 oh, we're on to something here. But seriously, the value of that time spent, you know, versus another practice on a Saturday morning. I, I don't know. Uh, it's just how I feel about it. October 13th, 2022. No, 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 excuse me. October 16th, 2022, I just looked at my calendar, is the day that I will always remember. I looked at my son. We were in the duck blind in North, in North Dakota, and I knew he was finally a duck hunter for life. He's been hunting for several years, duck hunting for several years, and there was a moment I looked in his eyes after he dropped this, this green head, and I saw what was a lifelong mission now to be to be a duck hunter and that took several years and so who knows when that'll I be I have goosebumps what happened he he just it was we had a great hunt that morning and we had some greenheads coming in and he dropped one i was so funny because he shoots a, a little 28 gauge pump and i changed out the choke the night before yes the day before i'd he was shooting a cripple out in the water and i saw the pattern i said you know what i think that's a little wide i think we're going to we're going to switch out your choke i'm going to change it out tonight and so he switched out the choke and the next morning he dropped that first bird and he looked at me he's like dad that choke is great <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome i don't remember brandon maybe i've i've told this story too but we were up north at our kids camp over mea this this year and we're out in the duck blind. We had, we had deer hunted, we had grouse and woodcock hunted, and we also duck hunted. And so we have, oh, there was one, two, three, four, five, five kids or six kids in an A-frame and layout blinds. We put it all together. <laughs> they were mallards and geese landing in this field, in this stubble field. And so we're all hiding in there. And we had my son, he's eight, and we had another eight-year-old. They were shooting. And then my nephew who's 10. And so, um, we had them spaced, you know, child, adult, child, adult in the A-frame and only allowing safe shots. You know, we're really working on all of this. This is a big deal for these kids. Right. And I had taken my son and nephew out on the opener and they each got their first duck, one in the air, one on the water. But when you have a chance, like that kind of like, I know as you get older, you don't water Water, water spank him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But for the first one, absolutely, you let him do that. Absolutely, you know, and, and you he do. got it, and yeah. that was a prize. So anyway, we're sitting in this field. We have this flock of mallards, maybe fifty mallards, working us in this field. And circles comes down, and they're gonna make the next big loop because we watched the first flock and just the adults shot. We want other kids to watch. No kids, you can no shells in your gun. 
You can pull up when we do practice, but this, the next next flock will be yours to shoot at. Well, they all have hearing protection on, you know, and I'm sitting next to my son. I'm just to his right, and I'm whispering as I see this big flock coming to make the big loop around, you know, how mallards like to do. They'll swing three, four times sometimes, and one mallard comes in ahead of everybody, way ahead of everybody, and is hovering over the top of a spinning wing out there, my son, and I go, wait for it, wait for it, just wait, here they come. And as I'm saying that, I'm looking at the bird, I don't see him pull up and go, <laughs> boom, and just drop and this just green drops. head. All the, the whole flock flares, everyone looks over like, what the heck? But my son was pumped, first bird oh out of the air. Oh my gosh, that and is he's great. Like, Yes, you know, and the joy and all the other kids, they didn't care about all the other birds that got right. away. All the dads were like, we could have had 20 there. But as soon as they knew that it was this eight-year-old that pulls right, up and right, takes this bird right. out, it went from like, what the? Yeah, to, yeah. Yeah, buddy, you got it. You know, and I will never forget that moment. I don't know if that's the moment like you just mentioned, yeah. October yeah. 16th, 2022, yeah. but Hey, it actually might have been October 16th. Was it a Saturday? Right, uh, Sunday. It was a Sunday morning. That could have been. That could have been. I don't know. Actually, I think mine was a Saturday. I think it was October 15th. What a monumental oh, weekend it was. Right. Anyway, gosh, stories Let's are great. push for yes, two okay. days. Two days. No no, uh, no sports in the state. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, Let's get it I into just, legislation. I, yeah, I'm... I'm on board. I know some people. <laughs> I think I've got you on board. I got at least two. Brandon, you're on board. I don't care what you say. Yeah, I'm in. Okay, I'm in. he's in. All right, perfect. Okay, let's get back to modern carnivore. Um, so where do you find these people? Where do they come from? The people that really are taking question. the courses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, all walks of life and different perspectives, but you know, a lot of them are they're they live in urban areas. They've never been given the opportunity before. How do they find you? So, I mean, there, there's, you know, that's where you it got comes flyers to, hanging up. Yeah, I got exactly. I'm, hand, I'm down on the street corner <laughs> handing out <laughs> <Yeah>. flyers. <laughs> it's really, you know, in this, in this age of social media, that's yeah. how, that's, that's how we bank on a lot of the exposure. So people come to us from all areas of the country and, and I'll often ask them, yeah, it's like, how, how did uh, you find out about us being a guest on a podcast like this one? Um, social media, Instagram, Facebook, you know, things like that. YouTube, um, being on, on, on TV shows, you know, we, we were, uh, you know, last year, uh, yeah. on Minnesota bound, you had, you came down to our one event. Yeah. So Rennell. Yeah. Rennell. So he's a perfect example. Yeah. Where absolutely. did he come from? So I'll get, okay. I'll give you the exact Rennell story. So Rennell and, and we've even got somebody else now who's a friend of Rennell's, who's a woman named Cheka. Okay. Who's brand new, who's just went out on her first hunt a month and a half ago, Wisconsin deer hunting. She's, they're both butchers at the local co-op in Minneapolis. They're in the heart of Minneapolis. Okay. Uh -huh. Um, working at, at, at Seward co-op and, uh, a friend of mine, Eric Jensen, who's affiliated with, he was the, he started the, the Minnesota chapter of backcountry hunters and anglers frequents frequents that that co-op and would go in there to get um fat back for his sausage making for his venison sausage and he'd go and he'd be like you got any fat and one day Rennell, who's cut who's the butcher one of the butchers there he looks at eric he goes what do you do with all this fat and eric said perfect opportunity like you talked about earlier trez open door well let me tell you what i do with this uh -huh. fat i'm a hunter 
and I go and I hunt deer and I just got a deer. And so I'm going to make sausages and you need to do a good grind mix of, of some good pork fat with yes. that le- very lean venison. Interesting. Eric, you want to go hunting sometime? Sure. So Eric takes him out hunting, um, deer hunting. Uh, up in northern Minnesota, they 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 hike way back. Like I'm surprised Rennell has has been sticking with it, um, because uh, he took them on a hardcore deer hunt. Like Sweet. they they went like two miles back, packed and maybe in, that's and, and did why a wall tent. It very well, it. it very well could be. Got a deer. Um, we've got an episode of the Modern Carnivore podcast where um, he got his first deer. Those guys called me, and I went over and helped helped him a little bit butchering. But we recorded a podcast right after, and so Rennell shares his story. Uh, then this last year, we we um, uh, two years ago actually was it uh, the year before uh, did a squirrel hunt with them. Mm-hmm. He bought his first shotgun. Um, he's was getting ready to do a turkey hunt this last year. I'm trying to remember if he did one or not, but he's he's into it. So. That's a perfect example. Rennell, somebody who had hunting was not on his radar at all, but he's a butcher. He's mm-hmm. curious about meat. What's That's going on? That's interesting that you choose to be a butcher. <clears throat> well, I think it's a good example of what we were talking about earlier of people who are like, yeah, you know what? And especially like at a co-op, those are people where they're sourcing their meat from a lot of smaller operations. I got a friend up in Northern Minnesota started a pork heritage pork operation years ago that's just like gotten gangbusters he's actually sold the sold the farm now it's been featured in like food and wine spectator because of the quality of the meat so i think those are the types of places that are sourcing there so they're interested in meat if they're gonna eat meat might as well be good meat that's responsibly raised and 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 high quality yeah again it's a transition into a, a conversation about hunting totally brandon your your uh role at hell's kitchen yeah prior to doing this and did any of the food aspect ever trigger you into thinking about where that meat came from not i mean not particularly no i mean i know they they they're a place that does the local thing and they you know do get from small farms and everything like that but i mean not specifically but i mean as as, as to like why a butcher would exist in a city without hunting i mean think about like new york a big urban environment sure. where there's been butchers around for sent you know decades upon decades passed down through the family or whatever it's just Mm -hmm. a trade so i mean you get it in you cut it up you don't really think about where it comes from so i could see where they'd be curious and just get introduced into sure i mean i grew up on a farm you know born on a farm my parents butchered uh you know i remember butchering pigs venison everything i i just remember making our own sausage i've to this day still use some of those old recipes and i still just like I remember like the sights and the smells and everything about it. I, it's just something to me. It's just a part of the whole experience. But I associate all that with the hunt so much. Well, and that's where you take somebody like Rennell or Cheka, his friend. She was actually the manager of the of the meat department at that time. She's le- since left. She's now doing butchering classes, and she connected. I'm trying to remember how we connected through Rennell, and she's like. I want to learn to hunt now. And so I think it's, it's a, an aspect of where somebody for like in the, the example of these two people, um, they're, they love cutting meat in this domestic, you know, with these domestic animals, mm-hmm. this idea of hunting is like, take what they're doing now, but add a sense of adventure to it. And like actually sourcing it themselves right. in this wild 
original way of and getting meat. that's why they love it so much. Exactly. They're just fascinated by it. And that's, you know, that's the name modern carnivore. It's like take those things that are ancient traditions, but yeah. it's in a modern way. It's like reconnect. Love it. See, yeah, for me, like hunting, like I got more interested in hunting through watching like cooking shows like way back in the day, Anthony Bourdain, where he, yeah. where he did his no reservations because you'd see him go off to a place, they'd eat every part of the animal and you'd see how delicious the food could be made from whatever part of the animal. So that's what actually got me more curious into it is just seeing like what you can eat from other sure. parts that I'm not used to. Yeah, eating. I mean, because how like chicken... Pork and beef, that's a staple it's, for 90-some percent of the population, and, and there's so much more out there. And if yep. you think of those flavors, they've become how how the, the those animals are raised. They've really, I, again, I think from the standpoint of efficiency and productization, they've brought in that f- just purely the flavor aspect of those meats. It's very centralized to a, to a, a, a very basic flavor profile. You now introduce, think about again, think about a rough, I, th- I think rough grouse versus chicken. Like that to me is a great example yeah. of like, okay, try I chicken. I would take a rough grouse over a chicken every day. Every day. Yeah. Every day. I always say, it's like when somebody says, what does rough grouse taste like? I'm like, tastes like chicken, only a hundred times better with more, <laughs> with more flavor, you yeah. know, just cause yeah. it's, it's, uh, you know, it's something so that's approachable. The, when we, we actually, uh, on our other TV show, Minnesota Bound, did a feature story on your modern carnivore with Rennell's squirrel hunting adventure. And you had chefs that were there during this hunt and other hunters too. We chose to follow Rennell kind of through the process as a first time hunter. Um, but where do you get these chefs? Yeah. <laughs> um, so on, on that show, that was Jamie Carlson. Yeah. Uh, Jamie has uh, become, become a good friend over the years. Lucas Leaf is also another one who does, does a lot of stuff with us. Lucas used to be a chef um, at a, at a very, uh, highly rated Italian restaurant in, in the twin cities here, El Vento that no longer exists. Uh, but, uh, Jamie is just, he calls himself a, a, a home cook. That's just obsessed with wild ingredients. And, um, and so in that case, he loves, Jamie loves experimenting in different ways. So like, you know, for that, we were, we were doing different squirrel recipes. I'm trying to remember he did a, um, was it like a squirrel tikka masala or, or a squirrel curry? He did a squirrel curry yeah. um, with wild like rice. Yeah, got, squ- you know, squirrels. As a kid awesome. on the farm, yeah. we'd come back with rabbits and squirrels. Yeah. And yeah. would cook up hassen pfeffer. Hassen yeah. pfeffer. There you go, man. Yeah. Well, I have to imagine if you're looking for more people to sign up, you're probably looking for more volunteers to help. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and that's and that's the thing with, you know, if people are interested in in helping coach New new hunters, uh, shoot me a note. Um, you know, snowplow just ran into our building. <laughs> it right sounded there. like it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Going through the wall. Right watch I think out. we're safe. <laughs> if not, we're well. We are. We're still alive. So it's yeah, keep the show rolling here. Uh, sorry, didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, no, I just was right. making sure we were going to make it. <laughs> People can't hear because of your amazing audio capabilities, Brandon. Yes, yes, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. But we just about. <laughs> Uh, we just may have been attacked anyway. <laughs> sorry to cut you off. Keep no, no, going. no, that's a, that's all right. So yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's how, you know, we've got, we've got uh, people who have great recipes, um, cooks and chefs, uh, and, uh, and yeah, always, always looking for people who were interested in helping coach new hunters and things like that. Um, and, and tying in, you know, with the, with the local communities. Okay. So Pheasant Fest is coming up. 
I mentioned earlier that I'm going to be there. You will also be there. I will. Carnivore will be there. What are you, are you launching something new? We were talking briefly about this uh, in the Upland world. What are you calling it? Yeah, so we have been, so this last fall, we were all over the country filming a educational course, uh, a new educational course that we're going to launch at the end of March, but we'll preview it at, at Pheasant Fest. Okay. And, um, and it's, and it's very, very simply called, uh, how to hunt upland birds. And, uh, what we did was I travel around the country to hunt different species with different people to show not people that non-traditional hunters, you know, there's very sort of this prototypical idea who an upland hunter is. I wanted to show people who might look, sound, hunt different ways than the typical and, uh, and so people couldn't look and go, okay, wow, different areas of the country, different people that look different and, and, and I can relate to that. I mean, if they could do it, maybe I can too. So sure. we're, we're hunting grouse in Maine with the Dyer family who has this long history and traditions. We were hunting, um, uh, Bob White's down in Georgia with Darrell Smith. Oh, we were yeah. hunting, uh, um, California quail in California with Ruben Mata. We were doing, uh, pheasants in North Dakota with Kayla Bendall and, Kang Yang, we were so Kang's part of part of this this uh, series. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Kang, you you're are, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and Darrell too. I tell him yeah, when Durrell. I see him, I'm like Darrell. I can't open up my phone without seeing you. I know you. exactly. <laughs> like, the oh, two man. of them are our semi famous individuals that are yeah. everywhere these days. Yeah. yeah, totally. Exactly. But yeah, so so we'll be previewing that at pheasant fest i think we're in booth 12 13 one two one three we were right around the corner from you guys last year i'm guessing yeah. we'll be close again this year yeah probably, looking so. forward to it it's in our hometown here and then next year heading back to south dakota again um what i ask this question pretty regularly but what keeps you up at night mm. what keeps me up at night probably um conservation challenges we've got, uh, with modern society, you know, and you, and its impact on the culture of hunting. Um, you know, again, this trip I took around the country, I was able to see, you know, the opportunities, but also some of the conservation threats we've got to habitat for these wild birds. I love hunting wild birds. You know, with, with with upland bird hunting, you can go to a game farm and you can release birds. And I think if you want to do that, that's wonderful. I do that. It's a great, I look at it personally as a great training tool for new hunters and a great way to get out and swing the swing the gun and, and, and just be out and, and do experience it. But it's not a wild hunt. I want to see wild hunts, you know, into the future. And, and so I guess, you know, my concern is threats to, to, uh, to habitat for, for wildlife, man, you were, I can't wait to see this ptarmigan hunt because you were in the last great wild place of this man. country. And I mean, talk about being in a place where you see vast untouched tracts of land. Yeah. We used to have that in, on our main continent and it's, right. and it's, you know, I don't know where, away. I mean, there are places that I was talking to somebody about this the other day after coming back, driving through Kansas. And there are places that still don't get many footprints. Right. You know? Absolutely. And it does exist, but it's tough to find. Um, yeah, you mentioned that adventure up in Alaska. And for sure, we were stepping on rocks that had never been stepped on before. You know? And that, right. like, to wrap your head around that, I every once in a while I'll stop and I'll think about it. You know? And I, 
I'm in a position to go and experience some of these and try to show people what exists out there. And I don't take that lightly, but I also like, if I didn't do this, there's so much of me that would want to do that. You know, if I wasn't doing this filming, what we're out, where we're going, so much of me would want to be able to work, save up, buy that plane ticket, go up there and do it, you know? And I look at, um, some of the trips that I, you know, my friends and family, we go on outside of work. And I say, gosh, you know, like, you could take your wife up there. You know, Absolutely. it's a $450 ticket. We're not talking about a $2,000 ticket to Alaska. Is that all your tickets were? Yeah, it wasn't gosh, that much. Wow, that's great. You know, and so I'm just like, these opportunities exist. Maybe right now is the time to look at next next September and say, I kind of want to see what it's like to be in Alaska, you know? And you might say, oh, I only need to save $1,000 or $1,500 or something like that. You know, think about how much we spend on junk. Yeah. Junk. Junk. Truly. And an experience is never like, I don't know, Brandon, what do you... No, I'm all for that. I mean, I'd rather spend my money on a trip somewhere or for an experience than I would on random crap. Yeah. It's just worth more Gifts of my memory. that you throw yeah. away or use yeah. once or twice, and it's like, oh, get an experience. You know, like, just there's so many places out there and that. The, the whole FOMO, fear of missing out, should apply more to experiences than, action, than things. Like, yeah. you should be afraid to miss out on experiences while you're alive as opposed to missing out on the cool limited edition whatever thing it is that's going to be popular on the internet for a day. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, yeah, it's not on sale. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the place is up there that you're uh, in northern Minnesota, miles into the forest. That's where I took my son. Yeah. And my nephew. And for four days, we sat in the woods. And they sat in the blind with me. We were over a mile into the forest. And I remember my dad, when we went deer hunting, we would sit, uh, gosh, you know, everyone's got these beautiful stands, you know. I, we cut off uh, with a little saw some branches in a spruce tree and sat on the branches <laughs> and sat there all day. You know, and doing some of those things that... It, feel to me like that's a thing of the past i was talking to a friend the other day about it like at what point do you want to put the next generation through that struggle it's because they have to appreciate what it's like to to put yourself in that position instead of a well manicured food plot and you've got a heater buddy heater sitting in your 360 blind you know and you walk out there and you're never actually cold you never actually suffer and you're probably scrolling through social media waiting for a deer to walk out you pull the trigger you know, and, and you touch on my other, that's the other thing that keeps me up at night and they're, and they're related, which is, which is, you know, sort of our, our, our lifestyles these days that are very comfortable. Um, there's a guy, I forget the author's name. He wrote a book, uh, a few years ago called the comfort crisis. And he actually in that book talks about going out and hunting with some Inuit people. Okay. He's not a hunter just to go out and get uncomfortable. And I think I think doing that by doing those things, like getting people out into deep, wild places, it's not easy. And people, especially kids, might complain at first. And you got to work through that to get to the payoff, which is the, which, which is a moment in time where they go, oh, 
this is great. And it's universal. And it puts things in perspective. And I believe if we get more people to do that, I think they're going to value wild spaces and we're going to have a better conservation community in the future. Um, if we can, if we can look at both those. So I've been trying to figure out how to wrap my head around a certain line that I've been trying to like, what's the point of a project that I'm working on separate from this conversation right now, but I've been waiting for it. And you just said it in a world full of comfort, everything about that experience is uncomfortable. And that's the point. That's the point. Absolutely. So you're going to hear that line now. In a, <laughs> <laughs> and I've been trying to wrap it like, how do I sum this up? And there it is. That's, That's great. the point. You huh. know, and it is, and it's, and I think in modern society, we've been, we've been conditioned to avoid and not look at things like death and discomfort. And it's the reality of the, of, of life. The reality of love of life is death. Something has to die so you can live. And the reality of life for millennia has been it's uncomfortable at times. And that makes the other times that much more wonderful. But we've created a society today today that's so insulated from discomfort that I mean, look, we're sitting in this in this room right now. It's probably it's perfect. 68, 69 degrees. Nah, my office is uh, in the back. For some reason it's a little cooler. And <laughs> I I, have, I wear a vest back there, so I'm not always comfortable. Maybe it's maybe that's why I, you know, feel it. I just feel it. <laughs> Tough conditions back it's there. Tough conditions to write a script tough. back there. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. But now we're in this room. Yeah. And look at this look gem at that. that we just look came at up that with. right there. In a world Boom. full of comfort. Everything about this adventure is uncomfortable. And that's the point. Huh. Well, we went a lot deeper than I thought we were gonna go, Mark. But hey, maybe that's some good food for thought. Maybe our listeners enjoyed this. Um, modern carnivore on social media is mod carn at Modcarn on your website. They can find links to all these other um, activities and videos and and learning courses. I think it's worth checking it out if you hunt. And then you'll know what you might be able to send somebody to learn more about if they ask a question about hunting. So that's our food for thought for today. You know, cook up something delicious and share it with somebody that's never eaten wild game. And when they ask you about it, now you've got resources at your hands. We will be back next week at Bear Cave Brewing in Hopkins, Minnesota, 7 o'clock. Come on out. Bring your dogs. Love to see you. Have you be a part of the show. It's been fun the last uh, couple times that we've had these live shows. We have enjoyed them, and we look forward to this one. Even though it's the middle of winter and bird season is closed in Minnesota, um, we can still talk about it and enjoy it. And we hope to see you then. And then we'll be at Pheasant Fest. There's a lot coming up, and we're excited about all of it. Um, We'll be back. Anything anything to add to that, Brandon? No. No? no. All right, I feel like it. we should have like that movie voice guy being like, in a world full of comfort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just doing it that way. But that was, that was just stuck in my head. That's all. I got Mark, nothing. thanks for Barrett. Uh, <laughs> just making it through the snowdrifts uh, to get here. Um, and you did it. And I'm, I'm grateful for your time. Happy to do it. And thanks for having me on the show. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. 